The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Recovery, the Hero's Journey. Your host is Dr. Patricia Halligan. If addiction or prescription drug dependence affects you, directly or indirectly, whether it's you, a family member, or a close friend, stay tuned over the next hour as we explore substance use disorders, process addictions, and prescription drug dependence. We'll be discussing the painful reality behind these disorders and what can be done to help. Now, here is Dr. Patricia Halligan. Hi, welcome to Recovery, the Hero's Journey. I'm your host, Dr. Patricia Halligan, and today's episode is Life After Cannabis, Personal Stories of Recovery. Today, we're going to hear from two wonderful young men, how they developed a problem with cannabis, and how they quit after years of daily heavy use. They'll tell us what life was like before and after. Would it surprise you to know that 50% of substance use disorders have their onset by the age of 18 and 80% by the age of 24? The groundwork for substance use disorders is laid early. In the 80s, the potency of THC was only 2 to 3%. It wasn't thought to be addictive. Now, the average THC potency is 20% and much higher among concentrated forms. It can be as high as 85 to 95% pure THC in waxes and dabs. Today, cannabis is definitely addictive and its withdrawal syndrome can be severe. One in six teens who use cannabis will become addicted. The conversion rate is much higher among teens who use daily. More like one in three daily teen cannabis users develop an addiction. The most at-risk kids for cannabis use disorder are those with a parent with a substance use disorder. They're two to four times more likely to develop an addiction to drugs. Untreated ADHD is one of the biggest risk factors for developing cannabis use disorder. Research shows that kids with ADHD treated with stimulants are much less likely to develop a drug problem. It, other at-risk kids are those with a history of anxiety and depression and trauma during childhood, and also the early initiators. The earlier you start using cannabis, the greater the risk of addiction. We know that the brain continues to develop until the age of 25. The consensus among scientists is that today's marijuana is neurotoxic to the structure and the function of teen brains and the brains of young adults. Today's cannabis affects memory, learning, decision-making, and executive functioning. If you look at the brain scans of the chronic teen cannabis users under the age of 16, you see a thinner prefrontal cortex. You also see decreased activity in the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the executive functioning center of the brain. It allows you to get to class, organize your time, manage and follow through with your assignments, problem solve, and think through consequences. It also helps with impulse control. Among chronic teen cannabis users, you also see decreased volume in the hippocampus, and that's the seat of learning and memory in chronic teen smokers and in kids under 16. And you can also see a drop in IQ up to eight points. These points are irretrievable even after you stop using. Chronic daily cannabis users can also uh, worsen pre-existing anxiety, depression, and suicidal thinking especially in young people. Plus, it doubles the risk of psychosis, particularly with heavy use in kids under the age of 21. The risk of psychosis is much higher if the family history is positive for schizophrenia or psychotic bipolar disorder. Cannabis use also doubles the risk of motor vehicle accidents. Because of the rapid legalization of cannabis in the United States, studies show that teens perceive it as harmless and their use is increasing. Now I'd like to turn the mic over to the first of our two guests, Andrew. Andrew is a 33-year-old married professional in the healthcare field, and he just celebrated six years without cannabis in April 2021. Andrew, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Dr. Halligan. I really appreciate your willingness to tell your story, and uh, I guess uh, you could just start where you want. Uh, take us back to the beginning. Sure, sure. Um, you know, so when I think back to the beginning, 
I, I, you mentioned some early indicators, some things that might indicate whether a person is predisposed to this sort of thing or, or has a higher likelihood. And I didn't have any of that. Um, I had a great upbringing um, and, uh, and I had everything I needed in life. Um, I wasn't necessarily even depressed. I just, you know, it could have been that I just became a part of the wrong group of people. I'm, I, when I try to think about the etiology of how it all began, I think it's all speculation. I'm not totally sure. I think um, I, I probably was, you know, a, a, a good candidate to become a weed addict because of, you know, some of my personality traits and different things that maybe I hadn't really come to grips with in terms of how I was dealing with my life and how I was able to process my own emotions and things like that. But the long story short is I began, you know, smoking chronically at about age 16. Uh, this went all the way through age about 26. Um, and it started as innocently as it probably does for everyone. And, you know, while I say innocently, I was partaking in, you know, illegal, you know, substance use. So, you know, that you're, you're still, you know, but, but it was when you're in the suburbs and you're just sort of doing it with friends in a backyard and parents are pretty nonchalant about it, it feels innocent enough. Um, and it escalates quickly, I suppose. And so, so when I was 16, uh, you know, it, it maybe began on a weekly basis. Um, it, it was fun. You know, at the time I, I enjoyed it. Uh, we were able to, you know, achieve, di you know, different levels of sort of, I don't know, it, it's, it's hard to explain, but, but at, at the time it felt, you know, pleasant. Um, it was neat just reaching a different level of consciousness. Um, and, um, and everybody I knew was doing it and all, you know, the, it, when you're thinking in terms of popularity and all the superficial traits and all that sort of stuff, that's what was popular. That was what's what was prevalent. So, um, I obviously did it for that reason, probably peer pressure related reasons at first. Um, and at, at a certain point, um, you know, it became a weekend routine. And at a certain point I start, it started to become a part of my identity. Um, I don't know when, I don't know what the real turning point was, but by age 17, junior year in high school, it was a daily occurrence. Um, I was, I was, I, I don't know how I could have afforded that much. It got to the point, obviously, where I sold uh, marijuana myself, and I just kept the profits basically in in weed. So, um, you know, and, and that was incredibly dangerous. I would do it out of my car, um, but at the same, you know, at the time, I I, I, I felt invincible, um, and, and and incredibly, I did not have run-ins with the police at that time, um, but. Mm -hmm. What ended up, you know, really happening was it, it became a part of who I am. I began to see, you know, when I began to think about my inherent traits, my inherent characteristics, marijuana started to become that. Um, and so, um, you know, it got to the point where high school, it was a daily thing. It was before school. I was a two-sport athlete. So I, I ended up, you know, and, and that's part of the rationalization. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But I was able to, you know, and, and I got into a good college. and My GPA was pretty good. And my SAT scores were okay. And that all played into my ability to rationalize to myself. This is no big deal because I'm able to overcome so many things. I'm able to play football baseball, uh, rugby, all while doing this. And so how could it be an issue? Um, and so it almost felt like, like, like I prided myself on the fact that I could do that. Um, and I realized everyone's different and how they use it, what their life circumstances are like when they are using it and all that sort of stuff. But for me, it was just a, a, a kind of a means of, of, you know, communicating with people, being around people, having a social dynamic. It was part of my social dynamic to the point that I got to the point, maybe, you know, the end of junior year where I said, Hey, you know, like, do, it's not, do you want to get together? It's, do you want to do this thing that revolves around smoking marijuana? Um, we, it, it really devolved into just everything revolved around that. Um, and, um, and, 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 I didn't realize it then, but I was losing friendships. I was losing the ability to kind of bond with people and the people that weren't a part of that part of my life, the marijuana part, I, I, I pushed them out as well. Um, it was incredible looking back on hindsight, how my friendships changed based on those who used marijuana versus those who didn't. And I'm dealing with the after effects of that now, long after the fact where there are people in my life, I wish I could, you know, uh, I, I wish I could reconnect with, but it's just, you know, it, it just didn't, that didn't happen. And part of that was because I fell out with them uh, because they did not smoke on a regular basis. Um, so, you know, I can go into all the different details of, you know, I, I, 
high school was, was one thing, you know, in high school, my senior year, that was my life. Uh, you know, I was, uh, that was my identity. I was proud to be the stoner. I was proud to do it behind every teacher's back, all that sort of stuff, and still be able to get by with the rest of my life and do all these things and function. Um, college is when it sort of devolved more, you know, I, I ended up going to school and, um, and, and playing actually on a club football team, you know, so that was part of my rationalization that I could do that, of course, but, um, it, it was clear by college that the effects, I, I, I wasn't the social creature that I was in high school. I was very, very social and vocal and, and, uh, and just loved to be around people, very interactive. And that completely changed in college to the point that I was much more isolated. I would much prefer to play online poker and just smoke my pot in my dorm room or in my apartment. Um, and, um, and, and, and I didn't need much else, or at least I didn't feel like I needed much else because that was enough for me. Um, obviously, I, I, my emotional issues sort of, you know, uh, built upon that and to the point where, you know, like I wasn't really willing to address a lot of things that were clearly obvious to anyone from the outside looking in. Um, but at, the, at that time, um, it wasn't really a priority for me because I, I just wasn't at a point in my life where I was willing to put weed aside and I wasn't willing most importantly to acknowledge that weed was the culprit and that's what it really boils back down to and so when I try to tell my story what do I think you know uh, I don't know how to you know I, I could just go in a linear timeline as to how things went and then I got out of college and then I gained 70 pounds still eating my football diet and uh, and and um, thankfully, you know, my girlfriend at the time saw some potential in me to the point that she didn't leave me, even though she clearly should have. Um, and, um, and, and so I, I, I spent many years after college, just going through the motions, just complacent, you know, and I say this, this is what it does. This is what marijuana does to you. It makes you simply complacent with having a pulse. Um, sure. I found, you know, dopamine rushes in, you know, uh, uh, playing poker or doing, you know, doing, doing things that kept me busy, watching movies, um, things like that, but nothing productive and nothing that took me to any further step in life that, that I felt like I needed to, or that I, now I realized I needed to be at. So there, there were a lot of wasted years. Um, and I regret so much. Um, and, and I just wish I could have that time back. And I, and I wish I could have I wish I could be me now and speak to that person back when I was 16 and just let them know that you're not taking into account your future. You're just living in this moment and, and, and sure it's, it's, it's hard to process how this is going to impact you down the road. Um, especially when you watch, you factor in pop culture and you watch movies that I just loved, like knocked up and pineapple express and the Seth Rogen experience where Seth Rogen is this, you know, huge actor. And, and I looked up to him as like my idol, basically, uh, which is which is just sad. But I, I used all of those techniques to explain to myself that, you know, marijuana, you can be creative on, you can, you know, you can do things and, 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 and sure, you've got a lot of issues, but marijuana is not, the, is not, it doesn't revolve around that. There are other problems that you can address. Um, so then I'll get to kind of how, you know, it's, it's so hard to break it down in such a short period of time because it's such a complex issue. But in terms of how I quit, um, I look back to the first time I really tried. I saw a psychiatrist when I was maybe 18, right before college. And at that point, it was clear that it was an issue. My parents had caught me dozens of times. They were fully aware of what I was doing. Um, they didn't know how to address it. And, and, and I don't blame them for having difficulty in doing that. Um, but they had me see a psychiatrist. And we had this breakthrough session where I um, I spoke to him and, and, and he, and, and, and I was about to go to college. I got, got accepted to a good school and um, I took all my paraphernalia from the glove compartment of my car, found the local dumpster that right near the psychiatrist's office and threw it in there. And there was about a month period where I didn't use. Um, and it was kind of interesting that I did actually do it then. And I wow. don't, and, and I don't understand why I didn't continue. Um, there were, you know, I, I don't think I was ready to overcome it in terms of cope, coping mechanisms emotionally. And so I went back to school and the problem was my girlfriend and I went, uh, you know, distance at that point and that didn't help, you know, um, if I could have probably relied on her more, it would have been easier to remain, you know, uh, to remain sober, but I didn't, you know, and, 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 I, and this was a far away from home. I didn't know anyone. And so, you know, I was the social guy who felt sort of like an outsider. And obviously I just fell right back into that. Um, so, so yeah, so, um, 
I, I so so ultimately I tried that many times, never as successful as that first time, and then finally I, I saw a psychiatrist, um, and um, and and my parents offered me an option to go to a retreat and quit. And I said, you know what, let me just do this. I was 26 years old and I had to do it myself. Um, and so I drove away to a, to a friend's place uh, out in Rhode Island and, um, and just spent a week there. It was not pleasant. Um, and I, and, 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 and I came back and somehow, some way I just took it week by week and, and did it. Um, that's the basic gist of it. And and so you know the, the the fundamental point that I that that I, I want to convey about my experience is that there are a million and one ways that a marijuana addict are going to rationalize their addiction to themselves to the people around them because it's not the same as something that's going to be so clearly adversely effective on the outside. You can use pop culture references. You can use other people who have succeeded. There's ways to do it in which you can always admit to yourself that it's not the underlying problem. Um, and the only way you really know that it is, is when you're a year out, you know, uh, removed from it. And, and, and the way my life almost instantly got better is so profoundly incredible that I can't leave it up to just coincidence or, you know, it has to, you know, it, it, how my life improved, you know, almost instantly. It's just, it's just incredible. What's your life like now? My life is not perfect. Um, every day I'm, I'm trying to be a better version of myself. Um, I'm just doing it sober. And, and so uh, all that time that I would have not had available to me is now time that I can put towards things that are more important. And incredibly, you know, I, I'm thriving my career. I'm thriving in my uh, my profession as a, as a musician, uh, which I didn't even know I was one until I quit. That's um, so cool. Which is just incredible. Um, and, and, and I'm thriving in my relationships, most importantly. People matter to me. I'm starting to get friendships again. My wife and I are in a great place together. And it's just, it, it couldn't occur. And I see that with people I know still, that friends from that time that are still in the same position. And I see the, the discrepancy, the juxtaposition between our lives and theirs. And it's so profound and it makes me sad for them. I, and I don't think real connection and a real level of intimacy is possible when you are just uh, at the height of the addiction. It's not. And, and, and what I realized was that I basically factored my marijuana addiction into every decision I made and my relationships deteriorated because of it. If that, if I could not use around somebody, they were not going to be a part of my life. And you got rid of them. And I got rid of them, not even consciously. It just happened. Well, we're going to have to take a short break, but I am so appreciative that you came on and uh, you told us it's, it's, um, just really heartwarming to hear the story of someone who managed to break free from this is a nine to 10 year daily use habit. I don't know. It sounds like you're thriving now and it sounds like you're back. It sounds wow. like you feel like I you're am. back to yourself. Do you think that marijuana derailed your potential temporarily and uh, degraded your trajectory? Oh yeah. And, and I'll never recover from that to a certain extent. Absolutely. There, those are the fundamental years of your life, whether I'm growing physiologically or I'm just, I need that time to develop a career to, you know, to, and so, yeah, I, I will never recover from those years that I lost. All I can do is make up for it now. And the only way you can do that is to be sober. Well, I love your message. It's hopeful. And it's certainly a message of uh, strength and redemption. And when we come back from the break, we're going to be speaking to our second guest. Uh, and his name is Dan. He is a 20-year-old uh, going into his junior year of college. And he has just celebrated three years drug-free. So we'll be back after the break. Treatment of Opioid Use Disorder is a CME-approved video for healthcare professionals. This comprehensive video covers how to talk to patients about three FDA-approved treatment options, the research behind each medication, and how to help patients choose the right medication for them. You'll learn everything you ever wanted to know about these treatment options to be able to treat patients in your office with ease. This video simplifies the prescribing of buprenorphine and includes buprenorphine home induction instructions for patients and pamphlets for patients and their families. Visit drpatriciahalligan.com for more information. Benzodiazepines, the epidemic we aren't talking about, is a CME-approved video for healthcare professionals. This very comprehensive video describes the dangers of taking benzodiazepines and Z-drugs long-term and teaches how to de-prescribe them safely and effectively. We outline how to talk to your patients before, during, 
and after a long, slow volume taper, how to build your patient a village of support and offer a... You are listening to Recovery, The Hero's Journey. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Patricia Halligan, or if you struggle with addiction and would like information about resources that can help, send an email to phalliganmd at gmail.com. That's phalliganmd at gmail.com. Now, back to Recovery, The Hero's Journey. And we're back, uh, Recovery, The Hero's Journey. I'm your host, Dr. Patricia Halligan, and we were just talking to Andrew, a 33-year-old married healthcare worker, uh, telling us his story of leaving a 9- to 10-year daily uh, marijuana addiction and how he was uh, just blinded to the fact that it was becoming a problem. Just uh, basically, all of a sudden, one day found himself isolated and complacent and going nowhere fast, turned it around, and now he's got uh, six years clean. It's my pleasure to introduce Dan, our second guest of the hour. Uh, Dan is a 20-year-old college student uh, who started smoking uh, between eighth and ninth grade on a daily basis and uh, just celebrated three years clean. So, uh, Dan, nice to have you on the show. Hi, uh, it's good being here. Thank you. So um, you can start wherever you want. All right. So I, I guess I'll probably just start from the beginning. Um, so my first time using, I was, uh, it was in 2014. I was in eighth grade and um, I wasn't even, I was 13 years old. Um, it was a Halloween night and I was with, you know, I was with friends and we met up with other people at a park and we were hanging out and uh that was the first time I ever smoked and it didn't ever um it didn't become a problem immediately I you know I did it and didn't think much of it but um you know a little farther down the road maybe six months uh you know I my sister had done it uh and then and you know she told me about it and you know, more and people were just talking about how they had smoked before. Uh, so there's that aspect of, um, it wasn't necessarily peer pressure, but just, it was just me trying to fit in because during the time I was also sort of struggling with depression. I just didn't really feel like I fit in and such. I had friends, but you know, that's part of what it does to you. I just, felt alone and by um so I started smoking again a little bit after you know six months after that first time and you know I shortly then after discovered uh dabs which um Dr. Halligan was referencing in the beginning of the podcast and how strong they are and um that's sort of when things started going downhill for me I, uh, I thought I was self-medicating, you know, cause I felt better afterwards, but I, I wasn't doing well. I mean, my parents at, at this point, they had caught me a couple times and, you know, so I was being grounded. I couldn't do things, do social events sometimes. And that, um, in turn just sort of made me feel more isolated and, the problem got worse. Um, I mean, God bless them. They, it, they weren't doing that on purpose, but so my parents, we got into this sort of cat and mouse type thing and I was always getting in trouble. We were on bad terms, always getting in fights. And, um, you know, I, I didn't look good either. I was pale, skinny, uh, you know, it, it looked like I was on something and, um, and that's, you know, the dabs, they're very powerful. So, um, that, and that was in ninth grade. And um, then uh, in 10th grade, I got caught in school uh, with, with dabs, a dab pen. Um, and that, that was sort of, um, you know, uh, opened my eyes a little bit because I had to... Um, the school found out. So I was suspended for almost a month. Um, 
my parents were not happy with me to say the least. Um, I had to go to drug counseling through the school and, um, you know, they, they sent me to, um, some local clinic, uh, and you, you know, it wasn't that good of a system there. It was, uh, I didn't feel comfortable and it didn't, it didn't help much, uh, basically. And, um, was that uh, with uh, kids your own age? Uh? So basically it was, um, it wasn't like a group clinic or anything. It was, I basically had every, uh, I think it was once a week I had to go to this uh, place and this um, psychologist and psychiatrist would both talk to me and basically relay that information to the school to you know, clear me, uh, that I'm, you know, okay and can come back. So, you know, it was, uh, very, uh, you know, I I felt it was very invading and the questions were, it was just, it was clear that it, it, it was very not, it wasn't personal at all. And, it was a rubber stamp and it was, yeah, uh, yeah it, it certainly wasn't private and confidential. There was a conflict of interests. I, I don't think I would have felt comfortable being honest, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I, after a, a while there, uh, few, not a while, but a few weeks, you know, they had to clear me and we, I sort of, you know, I wasn't truthful to them and they probably knew that and just accepted it and sent it to the school. So, um, and that was in, and that was in 10th grade. And after, uh, after that, I was, you know, not doing well in school. Uh, my parents were drug testing me sometimes at home and I wasn't passing them. I was still smoking. It, uh, and it, you know, my depression wasn't really getting any better. It was actually getting worse. Uh, My grades started to slip. I lost motivation. I couldn't really focus. Um, You know, I was on medication for depression, and it was just not working at all. Nothing seemed to be working. And um, I became very irritable, too, especially Mm -hmm. if I didn't have... Um, if I didn't have weed in a while, which a while was, you know, a few, a few hours. And, um, how bad did the irritability feel? It was, it was tough. I didn't, I mean, I basically didn't like anyone. I didn't want to talk to anyone and even my friends, like, you know, they're my friends and I like them, but I just didn't, I felt like I didn't even want to be with them. And, um, so, you know, it was sort of just like a, a cycle of me not wanting to be with friends and feeling isolated and it just kept getting worse. Um, and, uh, you know, at this point I, you know, realized that I need to, I need to make a change. You know, my parents were, you know, still angry at me and were and I, I was getting close to visiting colleges and things. Um, and I, they said, you know, you, you won't be able to do this in college. We won't help you in college if you continue like this. And I sort of, you know, took a, took a walk through, uh, you know, just a soul search and realized that if I want to feel better and like let my meds work and see what is actually wrong with me, then I can, then I can, uh, you know, act, feel better. I can, I, but I needed to be able to, I needed to quit. And, um, I, after I realized that it wasn't like I just quit and was done with it, it was not easy at all. Um, in fact, it was one of the hardest things I ever did. But, um, you know, at this point, my parents supported me. And even though I was still 
um, smoking sometimes. I was cutting, I was cutting back on it and, you know, they, they were keeping a close watch on my use and everything. And were they doing uh, quantitative uh, marijuana levels in the urine drug screens and to watch the levels come down, I wonder? Um, I don't, I don't believe they, uh, well, actually, I mean, the ones they gave me were not like that. But um, during this time, I was um, seeing a, I was seeing a psychiatrist that Mm -hmm. was also in on, in on this and knew that I needed to quit and that you know, um, me and her came to the conclusion that if I wanted to feel better, I needed to quit. And so I was doing, um, drug screens also besides my parents, I was doing them at a clinic and having them sent to, um, my psychiatrist. Who, oh, I see. Okay. They were probably watching the levels to see if they were coming down. What yes. did you have withdrawal as you were trying to quit? Uh, yes, I, I did actually, which I didn't, um, I didn't really believe it was withdrawal or, you know, come to terms with it at first, but, um, I, I did, I couldn't sleep at night. Um, that was the biggest thing for days, like almost longer than a week. I had really horrible night's sleep. Um, I, um, you know, I was stressed out and felt restless. Um, but, you know, I knew that if I wanted to eventually feel better, I had to get through this. So. And any, any thoughts of suicide? Um, you know, I, I, some, I sometimes thought about, I did think about it sometimes, not, um, not how and when and things, but I sometimes sitting there th- felt so awful that I just didn't want to be there at all. Uh, the pain and what about drug cravings? Did you have drug cravings? Uh, yes, I, you know, a lot of times they really wanted to smoke or do, you know, somehow ingest some marijuana, but I knew I couldn't and I'd spend a lot of time with my parents um, just because, you know, being with them and doing anything, watching a movie or making a puzzle would just keep my mind off of it. Right. Uh, That's powerful. If you're doing dabs on a regular basis, that's the potency is just so high. Right. The, the cravings are off the charts. They call that the crack cocaine of, uh, uh, marijuana. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. Um, but, uh, you know, after some time at, you know, being stressed and everything, I, I eventually submitted um, a few clean drug screens and yeah, yeah, I know. And which felt awesome because now it was finally time to um, actually like evaluate me for real at the core and see what I needed. And um, you know, it was weird at first being without any weed and I didn't really have cravings anymore, but I still thought about it a lot. It was, you know, I didn't, I knew I couldn't do it. I didn't necessarily like feel like I needed to. So I was able to stay away. But even after I was fully clean and it was out of my system, I still, you know, thought about it a lot. Um, When you're using, your mind's really obsessed with it, right? Like it's a full-time job. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you quit using and you lose your job. Yeah. Um, But you know, anyway, the, uh, after I, after I had quit and it had all gone out of my system, I, um, my psychiatrist recommended that I be, um, tested for ADHD, which, um, like Dr. Halligan said in the beginning, undiagnosed ADHD can have a huge effect on, um, being addicted to drugs and impulse control and things. So, I went to um, I went to another doctor and was um, test- tested. Had to take a bunch of um, sort of like written tests and some things. My parents had to take them too, um, you know, about me. And basically, the results came back and 
he said, yeah, you, you have, looks like you have some pretty severe ADHD. Um, and, you know, we sort of suspected that me and my psychiatrist. So <laughs> he um, sent the information to her and I was finally put on, um, I was finally put on Adderall to help with my ADHD, which in the day I started taking that and um, mixed with my other um, antidepressant, uh, it it changed my life around immediately almost. And um, what do you notice being on the uh, Adderall and is it long acting or short acting? It's long acting Adderall, like once a day, um, it lasts throughout the day. And um, it not only did it help me focus in school again, um, like I got my grades back up and, you know, college really seemed like it was going to happen again. Um, I became less irritable. Um, I'm more social. You know, I went out with friends more. I did more things. I, I started, uh, you know, longboarding with my friends, uh, Frisbee, all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, it, everything got better for me. Uh, and, uh, the other, even after, so after I graduated high school, I, uh, I went off to college and that was probably the one, another big challenge in my recovery was being at college and, you know, not being a part of the, of smoking weed because there's a lot of people that there that do it. Yeah. What do you say when you're a freshman at college and somebody wants you to smoke and you're at a party? How do you, how do you refuse that? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a little difficult just being, you know, around a bunch of people and if they are and they ask you that it's definitely awkward to say uh, no. And what I found is to just, instead of, you know, be hanging out around those people and having to refuse, I just found it easier to not even hang around those people. And, you know, if I walk into a room and people were smoking and stuff or, you know, and it was people I knew and they were smoking, I would just sort of walk away. Um, I just didn't, I didn't want to put myself in a situation to, um, you know, maybe like smoke again or be tempted because. That would have been such a trigger to a brain that was, uh, how how, um, long had you been drug free before you went away to college at the age of 18? So when I went away to school, I was, um, I was about a year and a half clean. That's um, amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. And, um, so it was difficult going to school and dealing with that, but you know, I've had, I had friends there that didn't really do that. And, you know, we found other things to do. Um, you know, there's always something to do on a college campus. Um, but then again, with COVID, it was really hard. Um, but I mean, you stayed yeah. uh, uh, drug free during COVID. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was hard. I mean, it was, there was a lot of, um, me playing video games with friends during that time because mm-hmm. we could barely even see each other. Um, but, you know, I, I was able to get through it and going back for my sophomore year, it was a lot easier since, you know, I'm at this point, I'm over uh, three years clean and it's, it's just, it gets easier with every day to be able to not smoke. That's amazing. And if if we look back to eighth grade, uh, you were self-medicating some depression and uh, you also had untreated ADHD. Is there any family history of alcohol or drug problems? So, yeah, that was another um, that was another thing that sort of contributed to my addiction was um, in in my on my dad's side of the family. There's history of addiction and um, you know, it, my parents didn't think to tell me about that, obviously, but then once it, you know, once I became addicted, they, you know, realized that it was in sort of in our genes and it, that was definitely a contributor to, to it. 
And did you ever experience any um, kind of psychotic symptoms when you were doing the dabs? That stuff's so potent. Sometimes I meet up with somebody who's doing dabs and they'll either hear voices or they'll have delusions or they'll get super paranoid uh, temporarily. Um, yeah, I, so what I found sometimes was when I would, you know, smoke the, or vape the dabs, um, is I would get, I would get so high that I sometimes couldn't even comprehend what people were saying to me. Wow. Like it just didn't make any sense in my head. That's so scary. Isn't that looking back? And I didn't have a problem with it at the time, but now it's, you know, I think, wow, I, how, how could I just be okay with that? Right. And w- what are you studying at uh, college? So I'm, uh, I'm studying secondary education with a uh, focus in history, which, which means that basically when I graduate, the end goal is to become a high school history teacher. Um, so that's another thing that I've always loved is history. And since I've quit, I've been able, I've done a lot more with, with it, like research and just different, I've gone to different places, historical museums. And so I'm, I'm excited to, you know, be a teacher and be able to give that to students as well. So you're excited about learning again, and your mind is curious again, and you're uh, connecting with, with people socially. Right. Uh, yep. And exactly. what happened with the depression? And, um, with the, you know, with me on my new meds, uh, shortly after quitting, uh, the depression, it, it slowly went away and it was amazing. Like I could almost, it, even just sitting here, like I, I feel great, you know, just, I can hear it in your voice. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Boy, that's what a journey. I know. Yeah. It's, it's been the hardest thing in my life. And I know I'm only 20 years old now, but um, I didn't think I could do it at the time, like before, but um, you know, it's possible and other, other kids that get into it and, you know, don't think it's bad or don't think it'll cause problems. You know, it, it just might, because that's what, that was how I thought. And that's what happened to me. But it you know it is possible to quit you can do it i um used to work with a young man who was in med school and he uh became uh, dependent on cannabis and he was doing dabs on a daily basis and uh he had to drop out of med school and he, he went away to two uh residential rehabs 30 days apiece uh he did outpatient three different times it took him several years uh, to be able to withstand the severe withdrawal and the cravings. The, if you don't treat the severe withdrawal, uh, it's, it's one of the biggest uh, risk factors for relapse. It was, it, it's really uh, quite a journey. And I think sometimes people minimize an, uh, an addiction to cannabis, and it's just a nightmare to get back. The, with right. the potency of today's cannabis, it's, it's really difficult. And, you know, you've got a brain that uh, uh, the dopamine receptors – in the brain have basically um, downregulated so that you can't experience pleasure or joy uh, in ordinary things for such a long time after you give up the drug that uh, did you find that, that nothing was fun for a while nothing really gave you pleasure for a while? Oh yeah, for sure. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't go out with friends anymore for a while. I was sitting in my room, you know, even, playing like video games wasn't fun for me. It was, I just didn't know what to do. It was, you know, it's pretty debilitating. Totally. It really derails people. Now I'm going to ask uh, uh, Andrew to come back. Are you there, Andrew? I'm here. And I wonder, I've got a question for both of you. Um, how would you advise family members or parents if they've got uh, somebody in the family that they're worried about, uh, somebody that they think is struggling with a, an addiction to cannabis, what's helpful if, if the person addicted to cannabis is, is in denial or rationalizing uh, their use uh, or can't think through because their prefrontal cortex is paralyzed? Um, I'll, I guess I'll start. Um, <clears throat> to me, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm using my own self anecdotes here, is that there was no, nobody that could have break, broke through and, and got me to stop before I was inherently ready. 
what I, I listen to Dan's story and I think, you know, what would have really helped me is, an, you know, is an incident, uh, a legal incident, um, something that was a real wake up call early on. I never experienced that. I had so many incidences where I was pulled over by the police and I had my bubbler, you know, in just in my, you know, just right hand um, and they didn't do anything. And, and, and obviously at the time, I thought it was the greatest relief of my life. And I think back now and think, man, that could have changed everything for me if they would have just booked me. Um, and it's, it's sad to think that way. But, um, but in terms of telling a loved, you know, telling somebody who loves an individual how to help them, it's, it's so profoundly difficult because they're going, to, they're going to justify their use. And there's not a lot of words you can say to them that are helpful because they're not on, on the surface it might not be as obvious as what they feel internally or what someone else sees externally um, so it's incredibly challenging that way and i wish i could provide someone with key advice and say this you say this to them and they're done but it doesn't work that way unfortunately i i feel like for you know parents who have uh, ch- sort of children going through this like i did um the key is uh definitely patience and um support not obviously supporting their use but um supporting them getting away from it rather than um you know uh, like stealing it and yelling at them and not giving them reasons or doing uh you know just being really harsh about it which you know, I can understand where you're coming from with that, but um, especially because the marijuana can, you know, change the brain and how it thinks. It's important to be patient and patient with them and their quitting and um, to support it as much as you can. That's great advice. Uh, I had a patient a couple of years ago and he, uh, his parents found drug paraphernalia in his room, and I remember his dad yelled at him and said, uh, you are weak. You are a loser. And mm-hmm. this hurt this kid to the core. Um, it, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, so don't be mean uh, and right. don't, be, don't be punishing. Set limits, set boundaries, say, hey, the clear expectation here is that you can't continue to use under our roof. Would your parents have kicked you out had you continued to use, do you think, eventually? Um, I actually, yeah, I do believe they would um, because what would have happened is if I continued to use, they wouldn't have helped me pay for college, and which, you know, is extremely expensive, so I wouldn't have been able to do that by myself. And if they didn't help me pay for school, then I would have needed to get a job and they would have made me, uh, you know, move out and find an apartment for myself, which, so definitely if I continued using, I would not be in the place I am now. And that's what I heard Andrew say too. Yeah. So it it just impaired the trajectories of both of you. And uh, would you guys want your 14, 15, 16 year old children to be using marijuana? Absolutely not. Um, and, you know, and I think about, um, you know, the parental approach and I wish my parents were more stern about it. I wish they drug tested me and made my life difficult. I don't know if that would have worked, but, um, and, and obviously hindsight is the only way you can look back and say, I apologize for the way I treated you then when I wasn't happy with, you know, you impacting my life when I felt like everything in my life was, was, you know, firing at all cylinders, you know, especially in high school. Um, so it's challenging, but I wish there would they intervene more and were not so passive in finding all of my paraphernalia so many times and not doing much about it. That's a that's a great point. Uh, nobody really uh, uh, really gets better or chooses uh, to give up a drug unless they have consequences, and that's where the parents can use their leverage, right? Uh, because Absolutely, you yeah. know they can say, "Hey, you're living under our roof, or we're paying for your cell phone, or uh, your video games, or you know college." And uh, here's the deal: we love you too much to continue to watch you uh, hurt your brain with these drugs. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd have to agree with Andrew. I would absolutely not want my kids um, at that like smoking at that age. Uh, you know, um, 
I wouldn't, but being, you know, myself and having gone through it myself, I would, um, I would go at it definitely a little differently than my parents did with me. Even though, I mean, they did help me, but, um, just having the experience, I would, I would, you know, talk to them and I would even tell them what, you know, what happened to me and try and help them that way. I think it's great. I think the developmental task of a teenager is huge, right? Get to know yourself. uh, What makes me happy? What makes me sad? What makes me excited? Who am I? And I really liked, Andrew, when you said, uh, you know, marijuana became my identity. You you lose yourself. Absolutely. Um, You pride yourself on on who you are to a certain extent. It is the cool thing to do, um, you know, at that point in time in my life. um, And you lose yourself in it. And it it became my identity to the point that, um, you know, all my other features and my positive traits prior to my addiction, you know, basically got subdued by that. Um, and, and, and it's, you know, it's sad. And, and even the things that overcame it for a while, my sociability, all that stuff, even that, you know, we're just a victim of the addiction at a certain point. Um, it, it's, it's terrible how, how everything was taken from it. Only, you know, it was only a matter of time. Yeah. And, and I really liked your comments about the culture and Seth Rogen, uh, Man, if you're in a position of power and you've got over 9 million Twitter followers, uh, you better watch what you say because that's a really impressionable audience. So when you say things like, oh, kids, just stay home. It's a pandemic. Just smoke more weed. You know, or you say things like, uh, weed actually helped my ADD. Well, the research says otherwise. Uh, if you're somebody with uh, ADHD and you're uh, smoking a lot of weed, what happens is your uh, ADHD symptoms, research shows, are about 25 times worse. Your executive functioning goes right down the drain. So, yeah, kids are impressionable. And uh, yeah, it's maybe he's not an addict. Maybe he doesn't have it in his genes, right? But I think, I don't know, we all have to be pretty careful with, um, you know, what we say and how we conduct ourselves, right? Uh, because kids' brains can be hurt by this drug. Right, well, for sure. I, I really can't thank you guys enough for coming on the show. Um, and you've been very, very honest. And uh, I admire and respect your recovery journeys. Uh, you've both talked about the, you know, the severity of the withdrawal, and you've talked about losing yourself and uh, feeling hopeless and being isolated and disconnected and, you know, falling off the grid. And with very little help, you've basically come back on your own. And I just really admire and respect it. And there seems to be a real sense of authenticity in your voices. You're back. You're, you're really, you're, your voices are, you're true to yourself. And I just applaud you both. So I'm, I'm really excited and I'm, I'm really glad that you came on the show. Uh, you've really given a message of hope and courage and redemption to the listening audience. So uh, this is uh, the recovery, the hero's journey, and I hope people come back next week, celebrate more people in recovery. So thanks again, guys. I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you for joining us this week. Recovery, the hero's journey is broadcast every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. As you wait for our next program, remember, you are definitely not alone.